Hey sister, get ready for a beautiful story of freedom. Today I have my beautiful friend, Stephanie Gass, on the show. She is a daughter of the king, a wife, a mama, a coffee lover, and she is all about PJs all day. She is the host of the top 25 ranked podcast for Christian entrepreneurs. She wants women to create a true change for themselves in God's kingdom by using their gifts for glory and serving the world with a business that lights them up. I am so blessed that I found her a couple years ago. She is a huge reason why this podcast is here today serving you. She believes that when we let God light our path, we will experience true miracles live proactively, and design a life that fuels our soul. Amen to that. But today, she's here really exposing her heart and soul for you to share the truth of what she's been through. She's never shared many of these things with anyone and not on her show either. So she shows up vulnerable, ready to just give it all so that you can hear that there is a path to freedom. And it's just going to bless your socks off today. (laughs) If you've never heard that term, let me tell you, buckle up, be ready. Holy Spirit showed up. Enjoy the episode. Hey sister, are you newly alcohol free, but you've been hanging on for dear life, hoping you don't fall backward? Or maybe you're still stuck in the cycle of over drinking, even when you told yourself you would stop waking up each day with thoughts of self-loathing. Is your anxiety through the roof so much that you wake up at 3am with your heart racing and negative thoughts about yourself? You hide it so well, not many people know. Girl, I get you and I see you. I'm Michelle Porterfield and for so many years I experienced all of this. Here's the deal, quitting drinking is just the first step. I believe that's why it can be so scary. We know deep down it's more. Once we see what's underneath all the covering up, true freedom is found and I'm here to help you do just that. So whether you're newly alcohol free or just sober curious, there is freedom on the other side. I can't wait to help you ditch the wine witch or help you find your mindset breakthrough and reignite your purpose after alcohol. Girlfriend, you are in the right place. Welcome to Set Free Sisterhood. Hey ladies, today I'm with my amazing friend and mentor coach, Stephanie Gass. I'm so excited to have you today. Hi Michelle, hello everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So first I want you to tell them who you are and then we'll go from there. Cool. Well, um, let's see. I am a daughter of the King. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have two boys. So it's always crazy over here. I live in the country and I help women find what they're called to do, help find their voice and then build a business out of it using podcasting and coaching. So I've been Michelle's coach before and, um, we worked together and I just, you know, when Michelle and I were in our last program together and I heard all the amazing things that she was doing and the mission that she had for all of you, when it comes to really breaking free from alcohol and I raised my hand and I'm like, Michelle, do you want me to come be on the show? Because I have a past with this and Holy Spirit just kind of tugged at me to come share. So that's why I'm here. And that's just a little bit about me. Also, I love PJs and coffee. So <laughs> Yes. Comfy pants all day. So that's what's so cool about this because you do have some history, even when you were younger, I remember hearing your story, like in your twenties and things. And then recently I heard an episode about 
idols. And I thought you just shared so beautifully. And that's really when it comes down to it. That's, that's what this is in our lives. Those of us who struggle, it's an idol. So I would love just to hear from your perspective of now, as I know you as this, you know, amazing, successful entrepreneur that just loves on others and is so focused on God first in your business and how you do that with other women. I would love to hear a little bit just about your history and your story and then sharing kind of how wine became a part of it and even other things as an idol and a little bit about what you did to remove it. Sure. And just Michelle, just stop me when you have a question because I'll just go on. I'll just go (laughs) on to be like, okay, hold question. Gotcha. All right, guys. So I'm going to rewind all the way back to Stephanie Gass childhood. So I think that for me, and I think for so many of you, things become normalized in our childhood. Okay. So for me, seeing alcohol consumption began at birth (laughs) because my dad was a big drinker and his dad was a big drinker. And I don't know how many generations back that went and it was normal. Okay. And I had no idea the extent of his drinking until I was an adult. And my mom was able to tell me that about the extent. Um, and you know, our parents do the best that they absolutely can. And I don't blame him for any of this. I want to put all that out there. And I want to say that, um, he came a long way. He came a really long way. And, um, I think we just do the best that we can. So going back, he, my dad drank from as early as I can remember, you know, there was always a beer, always a beer all the time. And it was just, it was just normal. And I think the way that I grew up, my mom would just separate us from him when he'd be drinking. We'd go to the library for four hours. We'd go to the park for four hours. She'd drive to Albuquerque from Los Alamos to go visit family randomly at 9 PM. Like, I just didn't know that was like not normal. And she just did a great job of getting us out of the house because when he drank, he'd be very angry and you couldn't, you know, you just want to stay away from him. And so that's kind of how we grew up and just more of like in a fear state of don't get in dad's way, you know, when he's drinking, cause who knows, like he's going to outburst at you or get angry over something small. So that happened. They ended up getting divorced when I was in third grade and we moved to Albuquerque with my mom. My mom never drank at all. And I think she had this really you know, traumatic childhood in so many ways. And she raised all her siblings and it was really hard for her. And then she, she has this caring, loving nature about her and she wants to help people. And I think she's recognized the difference now between helping people and saving people. Right. Like (laughs) if any of you have been in that position, so she was in that relationship to fix and to be a help and to to be a savior, but you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved. So they ended up getting divorced. And, uh, my childhood was fine. We went back and forth between his house and her house. And I don't remember so much from that time. Um, once we ended up in, once I ended up in middle school, I started looking for validation. And I think this, this comes down to where my story begins and the personality that we all have is so incredibly important for us to recognize. Okay. Because my personality is that of an achiever, just naturally. I'm a leader. I'm an achiever. I'm a driven person. I am an encourager. And those are so wonderful when they're partnered with God. Okay. And those personality traits can also, any of our personality traits, any of the greatest things about us can also be used in a worldly way, right? The enemy wants to come in and exploit your gifts. And if you are not being intentional about the way that God created your gifts, 
to be used for his glory, we're going to be in trouble. So where does he capture us at our weakest when we're in middle school, high school, college, when we're going through divorces or when we're going through hard things, it's like, let me grab onto this weakness. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, you better hold on. You're about to go on a roller coaster. So that was me, middle school, high school, searching for recognition, in all the wrong places, validation. Oh, it feels good to be recognized. Start looking for attention. Um, high school comes around. I start drinking very early. I think had my first drink of alcohol in eighth grade. Um, by ninth grade, I was finding excuses to go out, came home for the very first time, blackout drunk, got dropped off on my porch of my house and was left there. I was covered in urine and throw up. They left me on the front step, rang my doorbell and ran away because they didn't know what to do with this chick. You know, we're all in, we're all freshmen in high school. And um, my mom finds me that way. And she's terrified. She's crying. She's having, and I don't remember any of this. Um, she's crying, having this crazy breakdown. She calls my dad. He lived in Albuquerque at this point. He comes over and he says, she's just drunk. Just put her to bed. Like, it's just a normal thing. This is just normal. You know, just put her to bed. So they did. And I started throwing up in my sleep that night, gagging. She stayed up all night long to watch me, had to keep turning me over because I, I mean, I probably should have gone to the hospital. So that was the first of many, many nights like that, Michelle, all the way from freshman year through mid twenties, quite frankly, um, always looking for an excuse to go out and party. And once my twenties came around, so that was kind of just normal. Um, I remember my mom finding a bottle of vodka in my closet at the age of like 16, mm. asking me if I had a drinking problem. And I said, no, that's just my vodka. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, the the question that I have is, do you remember what it is that kept you going back? Because some would say, oh my God, what a miserable experience. Didn't you feel terrible in the throwing up and weren't you afraid? What was it that it did for you at that time? You know, I really struggle with that question because I, I'm, when I look back, I'm like, why was I so broken. What was I looking for? Mm. I had everything. I had great grades because I would get it together and I'd still show up right as an achiever. And then I, we'd go out and I think it was belonging. It was looking cool. I thought that that made me look cool. I thought that that made me, um, be attractive or fun. Right. And you'd look for that liquid courage and I'd want to be the one standing out in the room. And I thought that that's what alcohol made me be because I was in the wrong crowds. I was in this in the popular group where everybody was drinking like that and people were doing drugs and thank God I didn't get too deep into the drug scene. Um, because that would have been, I mean, I could have, I mean, I could have died. There were so many things that we did that were so stupid. I could have absolutely died. And there's been and multiple times I won't go into this, but like my, I have had an angel encounter where I've been saved from a, a car accident when I was drunk driving. Yeah. Um, I've been saved by an angel. So the point is like, I don't know what I was searching for other than thinking this lie that alcohol made me something that other people would matter to other people. Yeah, That's I can totally, yeah, I can totally relate. Cause I started about the same age. So it's interesting. Cause of course I didn't know that about your history and mm -hmm. it's very refreshing when we have these conversations from where we are now, because I think so many women, they don't, 
they talk about the struggle they're having now, but then they haven't gone back yet to see where the patterns kind of started, especially when, cause you're going to share this too. There's seasons in your life where it just wasn't a thing. I was the same way. So I think that's super important. And I know for me, it was that it was the, the belonging. And that was, that's what made me cool. I remember when I smoked my first cigarette in sixth grade yeah. because I wanted to look cool. Right. 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 And it was probably too, for me, knowing my wiring now was to turn off my brain too. Ah, that's, Ooh, I never thought of that. Yeah. I never thought of that, Michelle. From the overachieving and the, all that. Oh, it's like, wow. That's the only thing that let clicked it off. So <laughs> my brain just exploded. So I'm like, maybe that's <laughs> totally what it was. Cause I would, I'd be, so that was like when, you know, when you're in your, your teens, it's just party. It's the party sense of it all. Okay. Well then enter into the twenties, into my twenties. Um, it was still partying through college, but then a little bit over that, like 24, like 20, 23, 24, 25, even 26, 27, like that whole thing. Like my poor mother, I'm like, I am so sorry. This went on for so long, you know, her poor thing. I think that she probably prayed like she had never prayed for like 15 years of my life. And I'm like, look, your prayers like to God be the glory. Cause look at me now. But, um, that's like the hardest part of this for me, Michelle. It's like, look what we did to other people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, I'm like, whatever, I'm fine now. But like, holy smokes, what I put her through. It's just so hard for me to forgive that. I have, but it's so hard. So mama, I'm sorry. Um, and the Lord sustained her. Clearly, you can see that now. So and he was there for her. So in, the tw- in my 20s, it became more of like a, when can I drink? When can I drink it three o'clock? Is it too early to drink? Oh, if I hang out with this friend, it's normal for us to drink at noon. If I hang out with this friend, it's normal. Um, oh, I have a headache. I should probably just drink, you know, or, or so it became this, like, I was looking for an excuse when we go anywhere social at all, me and a friend or whoever I was dating at the time, I think about like, let's go there. Cause then I can drink early. Like I would just be, and now that I'm saying that out loud, I see like, what an immense problem this was and what I was on the verge. I could, I could have easily become an alcoholic and you know, my dad was absolutely an alcoholic and his dad is absolutely an alcoholic and everybody drank to be normal. And I was on the verge of that. And here I was holding down a six figure job. I was, you know, traveling for work. I was, I had it all together, right? Like look at this girl on the outside. I was, I was working out and I think the alcohol also like, it exaggerated other idols. Mm. It made me idolize my body even worse. And it made me have low self-confidence and self-esteem. I got plastic surgery for the wrong reasons and had to remove the breast implants later because I hated them. And like all these things were happening. And I'm not saying it's alcohol's fault. I'm saying it's idolatry's fault because you say yes to one idol. What have you opened the door to, you know, all these other things. And so through my twenties, I just remember, and something sticks out to me. I would drink every night. So the guy I was dating at the time worked nights. So he would go to work and I just sit there with a bottle of wine, probably drink the whole thing. Actually, I had a box of wine. Let's call it what it is. And I'd go to the box of wine in the fridge and I'd have three or four large glasses and I'd sit there and watch trashy reality TV every night. (laughs) And uh, I'd go to bed pretty verge drunk every day that I can remember. Um, Wake up with a massive headache drink coffee, start again, you know, and at least three or four nights a week. And I just thought this was normal. I never thought anything. I really never thought anything of it. And I think that's the problem too. Until this day, I was at work on the phone with my mom for something. 
and I had created distance between she and I because she was always, I knew that she was going to judge me for that. I'd hang out with my dad all the time because he'd be drinking buddies with me, right? So one day I'm at work on the phone with her for some reason and she says, around the age of 26, and she says, did you hear what you just said? And I said, no. She said, you said, I need a glass of wine. It's 11 o'clock. You just said out loud, I need a glass of wine. I think that you have a drinking problem. So first time anyone had ever said this to me. And she said, I've been talking to this guy I was dating at the time about it. And we both think you have a drinking problem, but no one's said it to you yet. And she said it in such a way, this is not like her. Like my mom is someone who's like, you be who you are and I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to worry behind the scenes. I'll pray behind the scenes for you. I'm not going to call you out. And for her to say this to me, I remember welling up with tears and thinking, do I? Like, do I really have a drinking problem? And it was the first time I'd ever thought, thought that. And I didn't know because I had never asked myself that question before. Anyways, hung up the phone with her and I was angry. I was like, how dare you tell me I'm just having wine. Everybody drinks this much. I just, we just go out and have fun. Like what's wrong with this? You know, who are you to judge me? And I got super defensive and super angry. And I don't know how long I stayed in that angry place, kept drinking, kept doing the things. And something started to happen where every time I would drink, I would think of that question. Do you have a drinking problem? No, no, not me. No. This went on for about two years. Now I was lessening my drinking a bit. I, um, had met my now husband and we were 27, you know, we'd, we'd still go out and do fun things. And we went on a lot of vacations and he would drink with me, but he was just like, definitely not in that like party mindset. It was more of like, Oh, okay. You just, you have a drink with dinner type mindset, which I'm like, what is that? No, you drink to get drunk, right? You drink to get a buzz on. Mm -hmm. And so we had this really different perspective. So kept drinking, but definitely less, probably once a week at this point. But when I would, I would drink too much. Okay. And there was still and something. Yeah, go ahead. Did you let him see that? Did you let him see that the level of drinking you were? Or did you have kind of an awareness that like, oh, he didn't think this way. So I'm going to be a little more sneaky about it didn't sneak anything. No, mm -hmm. but what's, and what's even interesting is like, I don't even know that we've had this full conversation. Like, I don't even know if he knows. Cause I don't even know that I knew like this was such a problem until like you started talking about all these things. And I'm like, you know, you know what? Like I should talk about that story. Cause I think it was embarrassing. Yeah. I feel embarrassed of how I acted and those choices from, from the seat that I sit in now, I'm like, I'm in heavenly places. Like how absolutely ridiculous to treat my body this way, to allow a substance like this to control my life and to not have said no earlier. But at the same time, I'm like, why is that embarrassing? It's, it's, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use that as a lesson. And hopefully together through today's conversation, we can break some chains of people and you don't have to wait 12 years to break the chains. If you're listening to this right now, there's something going on in your life and you don't want it to be there anymore. You want to be free, but you just haven't said and made the decision out loud to be done. So, yeah, there's so much power in just the speaking of it and saying it out loud. That's one of the things that I encourage 
the women I speak with, you know, have you declared it yet? Like, have you even said it? Have you gotten out of your mind? And that's what it took for you. I love that you shared the moment from your, your, what your mom said to the fact that it was a couple of years. I was the same way. And the only reason that I felt this like tug back and forth is because at some point I had asked myself that question, huh, is this a problem? Yeah. But then it went on. So there's freedom in knowing that that's real. But then the next step is, okay, you're, you're at this place, you're back and forth, you're drinking less. Mm. So yes. then what? And, and around the age of 30, um, my business crumbled in my vocational business that I was doing and my whole worth had been tied up in it, my entire identity. And I was still drinking at this point, anxiety attacks, you know, but on the outside, all the money, everything's going great. Right. And so that was the moment when I turned my life to God for the second time I was saved at nine, but then at 30, I fully surrendered it. It was like the Holy spirit, full out baptism in the Holy spirit moment, like arms up, weeping, sobbing, like I'm giving it over. Mm. And so at 30, when I, when I spoke the words, like I surrender my life to you, I meant it. And I said, take everything take everything that's not from you and crush it in Jesus name. I didn't say that yet. Cause I was just new. I was a baby <laughs> Christian. I wasn't ready. I'll say it for all you now though. We'll be, I'm happy to pray with you today. Break some chains. But at the time I surrendered it all Michelle. And so I'm sitting there and, um, God begins to do a work in me, right? He's doing a work in all these areas. He's asking me to lay this down and this down. He's removing this friend from my life and this thing from my life but I won't give up the alcohol. I won't do it. And we, every time we'd go to the cabin, well, I'm just going to drink this weekend. That's fine. I talk myself out of it and I talk myself into it and I talk myself out of it. And I go just one night. So we'd get there and I drink the one night and something started to happen. I started to have anxiety attacks. Every time I drink alcohol, I am talking debilitating. I would have, I'd sit on the toilet, then I'd throw up. Then I'd have full body shakes, cold sweats, my heart would, I'd wake up and look at my watch and it'd be at like 120 beats a minute in the middle of the night, every night. I'm like, why am I getting these panic attacks? Why am I getting these panic attacks? And I'd make every excuse. It's because I'm traveling. That's travel anxiety. No, no, no. Oh, it's because I'm leaving my kids. That's why I'm out of town. Cause now at this point we only drank when we go somewhere really. So that was good. It was less, but like I was still doing it. And I was kind of asking God about it. Like, Lord, what's this anxiety attack I'm having? And I'd pray. And I was about 31. I'm 36 now. So it's like 31, 32. <clears throat> and I'd hear God whisper, it's the alcohol girl. You know, I'm like, oh, I can hear you on that one. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep punishing myself. For absolute, who knows why at this point, I can't even tell you. It was just the idol. It was an addiction, right? It was an addiction to this, this concept that I needed it for something, but fun, relaxation, fitting, fitting in with everyone else. I don't know. Probably all of those things. So I remember this went on for like a year, severe anxiety. And I kept doing it, Michelle. I kept, and, and I talked to people. I'm like, do you think it's the alcohol? And they're like, oh, probably not. Maybe, but you know, nobody was like, if someone would, I don't know what I was looking for. What was I looking for? Permission to quit drinking maybe. Anyway, 
I remember sitting down as my husband and I anniversary. Don't remember which one we're at this uh, brewery. And I said, I think I want to drink. And, but I, I, but I think also God's asking me to stop drinking. I finally had this moment of like, I think God's asking me to lay down alcohol. So I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm at a brewery with my husband. I'm going to drink one beer. If that one beer gives me an anxiety attack, so it's just one. I'm going to know, I'm going to know asking me to lay it down. I'm going to lay it down completely. I'm going to quit drinking. And I made a commitment to Christ in that moment. Nurse one beer for two hours. That shouldn't do anything to me. That shouldn't, I should be great. I'm going to be fine. I went home and had the worst anxiety attack of my entire life. <laughs> he he supersized it. He goes, you're not listening. So I'm going to show you. <laughs> I'm so stubborn. And he's like, yeah, girl, yeah. I'm going to pull that rug underneath your feet. Like you're going to, you are going to hear me today. Yeah. So that was the day I decided to go completely sober. And that was roughly, I don't even know. I was like 33, probably uh, went completely sober for eight months, completely sober. I, I just woke up and was sober. Could care less. I could care less about alcohol. I made the decision. I made the promise to Christ. I decided to be done. And I don't even remember it being hard. I remember being like, I'm free. I'm free. Like the anxiety attacks, they washed away from me. My business exploded. Like when you lay down an idol, other parts of your life will be transformed because God is waiting for your yes. So through that, I had from 33 to today, he blessed me with the business I have, Michelle. He gave me the podcast stream. He started speaking to me more clearly. I have God sent friends that I could almost pinpoint to the day. I have a church relationship that I could not have had in that state. My relationship with my children is unbelievable and, and Christ-centered. My marriage is leading, being led from a spirit place. All these things. So it's so surreal to see. And, and I have had alcohol since I would have, I would, I would go, okay, cool. I've broken this thing. And I'd have a glass of wine or like a, uh, what do we have at Christmas all the time? The one with the cream and the seven up or the cream and the Coke. The anyway, we'd have a thing kind of one of those. Yeah. And I'd have one with everyone else at Christmas Eve. Nope. Like my taste was gone. I'm like, I hate, it doesn't taste good. I, and immediately I could feel like the rise of the panic, I, even with like a few drink, few drinks. And so I would just put it away and, um, I just don't want it. I don't want it anymore. And so it's been so freeing to just admit I don't drink anymore. Thank you though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's fine. And I can still go places with people. And if they have a kombucha, I'm like, bring it on. I love me a nice, I can put that in a wine glass or whatever you need to do. But it's like, there's so much, I feel so free. I feel so clear. I feel so empowered. I feel like, I feel like I'm walking in heavenly places at this point. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone, but it's like, when you remove this idol from your life, these chains that you don't even know were there are broken. You can walk out of this prison that you did not know you were in. And you can become everything that God wants for your life. And you can have these beautiful God goals that he has for you in your marriage and your motherhood and in your body and in the way you love yourself and in your finances, you can have breakthrough. There is breakthrough. There is so much breakthrough, but you have to get to the yes. You have to get to the yes. And I promise you the yes is harder to say than what comes afterwards. It's, it's, it's breaking up with the addiction 
and it's asking Holy Spirit to take over. And to one thing I would say is like, make me hate alcohol. Lord, help me, help me to hate this because I don't even want it. I don't want to want it. And so when the taste started changing and the signs started coming, I couldn't ignore them anymore. And I think when you finally listen to that and you surrender, your breakthrough is waiting for you. And you can do this because you can do anything through Christ that strengthens you. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to break the chains by yourself because you don't have a sledgehammer that big, but he does. He will break your chains. Man, that's beautiful. I got nothing. You just laid it down. You just laid it out there. I love it. That's beautiful. And I think that so many women will relate. And what I just want to highlight before we go is just the fact that the first step is the, the saying yes and the alcohol. And it's all about what's on the other side, all the freedom that comes and really stepping into what, why, why you're here. Like the reason that God put you on this earth and the reason you're still alive to be able to say, Hey, I need to remove this. I want to remove it. Make me hate alcohol. I love that. Yeah. So I feel led to pray with you ladies. Um, Michelle and I are going to pray with you now. And if you feel If you feel led, just, you can close your eyes. You can pull over on the side of the road. You can pause this and come back to it later. You can save this and listen to it as many times as you need to. But I believe that when we, we invite God in to our struggle and we begin to surrender, there is an absolute transformation that's waiting for you. There's freedom. And so we invite you to pray with us. Father, Michelle and I come together with every woman, man, person listening to this podcast right now. And we stand in agreement over your plan over their lives. We ask you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus to break down any chains that alcohol has over their lives. We ask you to crush any idol, crush any lie, any limiting belief, any story that the enemy has planted over why they need it, why they have to have it, why it's normal. Father, we wash that away by the blood of Jesus right now. We ask you for a cleansing of their heart, of their spirit, of their soul. We ask you for a cleansing and a, and a revelation that they can start fresh right now with you. We ask you to place in their heart, a Holy spirit tug to declare and decree a cleansing over their life, a freedom from the chains of alcohol addiction, freedom from the chains that is, that are holding them from your story over their life, from your healing from your purpose, from the redemption in their marriages, their motherhood, their lives, their jobs, their purpose, their finances. We ask you, Lord, on the other side of yes, to pour favor and provision into their life, Father. Give them the strength, give them God-sized strength, God-sized confidence to say that they are finished, that they are done. And we ask you to bring your mighty sledgehammer and to crush chains today. We ask for freedom for these women We ask you, Lord, to just be with them through the journey, to keep reminding them of their strength and their true identity, that they need nothing from this world. They need absolutely nothing because they have everything they need in you. We ask you for resilience and we ask you to just hold them tightly as they say yes to freedom today. You're a mighty God. Thank you. We love you. We trust you so much. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate you and I love you. Love you back. 
Okay, girlfriend, before you go, if you found value in this podcast and it helped you, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. Every so often, I will read reviews and give shout outs. To dig deeper, join us at Set Free Sisterhood over on Facebook. I will pop the link in the show notes. And don't forget, if you know someone that would enjoy or benefit from this podcast, share it with them and take a screenshot and post it in your Instagram stories and tag me. It's time to take back our power, ladies, and be set free. Until next time, stay blessed. Michelle.